all, this is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey guys, we are at uh, Westlake Brewing Company. You were taking a breath about to start this whole podcast yourself, weren't you? I was, because we do that all the time. Even he, though we're looking right at each other, we'll both go, and start. Here, the here's the thing. Uh, you have a script. I have the beer menu here. Uh, because I've already ordered. And so have you. So <laughs> exactly. why are you still looking at it? What, what are you drinking then? Uh, I am drinking the, uh, it's called the Shave Ice. I've Which ordered this specifically right. for you. I'm having the Y'all Star IPA, and we have with us Councilman Chad West, District 1, Dallas City Council. What are you having today? I've got, can I see the yeah, menu? It's the Japanese one. It's called oh, Super Dry, super dry yeah. um, which I'd never had before, and it's actually really good. That's my, that's my favorite here, and that's the one I usually go to. But they do have a few that, that I think Wheeler would like. Um, what do they have? The uh, Well, I mean, read the, the description of the, the one I'm having. I mean, that's... The Y'all Star IPA, what I'm having, has uh, tropical fruit in it, so okay. I feel like this is for you. You've but come over to the dark side. But it's me. the name. <laughs> You're having the pineapple sour, you said? Hint no, I'm having the uh, shave ice. Shave ice, yeah. Tropical island, uh, yeah, dripping with passion fruit, orange, <laughs> and guava. Dripping with passion, I am. Sounds about right. Uh, so we're back at Westlake Brewing in Deep Ellum, uh, in the shadows of downtown Dallas. Uh, I remember the last time we were here, we had we did a great podcast, oh, and yeah. I left here, and I had had a boot on my car. <laughs> I oh, didn't pay for parking for long enough. That Speaking one went of long. affordability, yes, that's what we are here <laughs> talking about today. How Dallas is is not that affordable, and, and what City Council and Councilman Chad West is doing to to make this city a lot more affordable when it comes to housing. And it's not just Dallas. Other cities in Texas have been through this as well, and and some of them have already taken the plunge and and made the change that it is that, uh, or some of the changes that uh, you're proposing here in Dallas, uh, Councilman. Uh, you know, we've we've had people on the podcast not that long ago talking about the Texas miracle and how it has attracted so many people to this state year after year after year looking for you know economic opportunities and for so long it was the cost of living in Texas is so much lower come on over bring your workers uh, and and that has faded some uh, because we've seen uh, housing costs just go through the roof and become unattainable for a lot of people. That's exactly right. Well, first, let me comment on the boot because I think that's very important. It's glad to know <laughs> yeah, cities. Can you do something about that? <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it's great to see city services are actually working. They are uh, working, and, and they and got their money. <laughs> In the end, I ended up paying more uh, than I ever would have if I would have just wow. you know, properly paid for parking. Uh, I day. usually get calls when trash is not picked up or cars are blocking bike lanes. That wasn't actually you blocking a bike lane. Was it, it was not. Was. Probably was. <laughs> that's good. That's so good. at least I, I was good on that end. Uh, but, but on the affordability, yeah. um, so s studies have shown very recently that, you know, we are following in the trend of really the West Coast mostly, but also a little bit to uh, to the extent on the East Coast as well. And, and you know, what they went through about 20 years ago, which mm -hmm. was this rapid increase in population um, without a housing construction policy to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. And if we don't want to end up like, Seattle or Portland or San Francisco or priced out like in New York City, we've got to do something different in the city of Dallas and we need to start being proactive about, about it now. Mm. Well, let's talk about the numbers here too because city staff came up with these numbers, I believe it's where it came from. Dallas lacks 33,000 units for regular old folk in, in this city. Uh, and in seven years, by the end of the decade, that number is going to more than double to a shortage of 83,000 homes for folks who, who make the median amount of money here. How did we get here? How do we start following 
the West Coast. Did Californians cause this? So the best data source that we finally have as a city actually came through the Child Poverty Action Lab. CPAL is a great uh, nonprofit partner of the city. They funded the study um, and did the study that, that provided the data you just, you just um, re relayed. And yeah, if we don't actually take action now, if we just keep doing what we're doing, we'll be 88,000 units short of our um, income levels for people who make you know, around fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. So that's your your teachers, that's your um, your entry level police and firefighters, that's your mail carriers, yep. your hospital techs, your service workers, um, and that will be by twenty thirty, will be that many units short. So where are they going to go? They're going to have to like live outside the city, or we may just not have those people, you know, available for us as a city to function. But, so, but how, how did we get here, though? Did, did something happen did, did, over the last four or five years? Because it seems like all this just kind of ramped up, like Jason was saying, in the past decade. Uh, no, it's a great question. So what I've learned after getting on council is that there has always been a shortage. Um, so we've always had a shortage, which has helped perpetuate the urban sprawl that you see in DFW. You know, a lot That's of why people, people have an hour and a half long commute in some cases to yeah. get to work. Exactly. And it's not all just affordability. People are moving out because of school systems mm -hmm. or jobs up north or what have you. But a lot of the uh, urban sprawl that we're seeing is a result of people who haven't been able to afford to live in the city anymore. Um, now it's getting worse um, because, as you mentioned, the, this Texas miracle tens of thousands of people moving here for jobs, corporations coming here from the West Coast and the East Coast. Um, so it's getting to a point where it's getting really dire to where we've got to do something different. Mm -hmm. Because uh, the, the world around us has changed in that people keep on selecting this as a place to live. And your argument is if that keeps happening, then we have to change the way we're doing things and the way we're building because otherwise, you know, we're still using an old model for a very new paradigm where all of these people keep moving here. Right. And so you wrote this op-ed in, in the summer of the, this year uh, in the Dallas Morning News and, and basically laid out what is really not a very sexy sounding issue uh, about lot sizes. You know, I, I, I'm guessing that probably most voters out there probably don't, you know, hold up placards, you know, having something to do with lot size when it comes <laughs> to election time. And most people probably don't keep up with this. But you say that this is the most important issue, you think, uh, facing Dallas? And, and lot sizes are the amount of dirt that someone can build on, right? That's right. Um, your lot sizes are, so right now, the average lot size in my neighborhood, which is North Oak Cliff, is 50 by 100. So the front facing the streets, usually 50, and then it goes back 100 feet, right? So that's a 5,000 square foot lot. Mm -hmm. We have upwards of 10,000 square foot lots in South Dallas, Preston Hollow. That's what Wheeler has. La it. Lakewood, yeah. 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 And, um, and, and, and so that variety of lot sizes between 5,000, a lot of them are 7,500 square feet, and then there's some that are 10,000. So we have those throughout the city. And yeah, the, the topic isn't sexy, but it is super important for, um, for us to, to certainly consider. Um, if you think about it this way, your, your average family who makes 60, 70, $100,000 a year, um, they simply cannot afford to live in the city anymore. Yeah, we I mean, keep hearing that from people that they just can't afford a home. Yeah, and so what are we going to do to fix it? You know, our zoning has been around that, that created this this lot size. It's been around since the 50s and 60s, and it's portrayed this, you know, this Norman Rockwell, everyone have a, you know, big yard, white picket fence, you know, the American dream, right? And, um, and, and a lot of people want that, 
but times have changed a little bit. You talk to your average millennial or these centennials, and a lot of them will tell you, I'm cool with a, a loft, with an apartment, or a back house. I, I don't want a big, to take care of a big yard. And our zoning hasn't kept up with the changes that we've seen over the last 70 years in how people live. It just mm -hmm. simply hasn't. So Houston has a 1,400 minimum square foot lot size. Did I read that right? I believe that's right. Mm -hmm. and, and so, it, number one, is there support for doing this? And number two, I guess the idea is to make better use of, of the dirt we have in Dallas, right? Right. So the, the proposal that um, I asked staff to look at, along with four of my colleagues, um, looks at three different things. One is to reassess the minimum lot sizes. So is 5,000 square foot, is that really what we need anymore? Or could we look at something smaller, right? Houston's 1,400. Uh, we asked for looking at 1,500 as a, as a possible place to go. Mm -hmm. We gotta be um, a little better than Houston. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> Always right. just a little <laughs> bit better than Houston. <laughs> That's true. Um, Austin had uh, pushed for 2,500 square feet, but we're more of a city that's designed like Houston, so it made sense for us to really model it closer to Houston. Um, the second piece of the proposal is for allowing duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes by right mm -hmm. in single family neighborhoods on vacant lots. Explain when you say by right there. So we're, we're a, right now, 80, 80 to 85% of the city is zoned uh, single family, mm -hmm. meaning for the vast majority of the city of Dallas, um, it is single family homes, single family neighborhoods, and that's all you can ever build there, mm -hmm. right? So if I wanted to crush my home, all I can build is another single family home there by right, right now, but you're proposing that I should be able to say, I would like to build a duplex here. Yes and no. So okay. the way we wrote the or the proposal is that if your lot is vacant, you can you should be able by right to do a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. Okay. Um, there is a, the major concern that's come out of this from residents is this potential for a wave of demolition across the city. Right. Now I'm in construction myself. I'm in development, and I will tell you that it financially doesn't pencil out to buy a single family home you know, for $500,000, demolish it, and then put a fourplex on there. It right. just does not pencil out. Now, if, you, if you're gonna put, you know, combined lots and build a five-story mega complex on there, yeah, it might pencil out, but we're not looking at that. Um, however, to avoid a potential wave of demolition and sort of mitigate the fears, um, we've asked staff to look at something to prevent that. Mm -hmm. And what could that be? Possibly a moratorium. If you demolish a property, you've gotta wait, you know, maybe a year to build something besides a single family home. Mm -hmm. You know, that would prevent it from happening. Yeah, entirely. a lot of people, I guess, have brought up that concern that, you know, what if, you know, you get developers who want to come in and now start building fourplexes and knocking down single family homes. It bears mentioning that the Pew Char Charitable Trusts uh, worked with UT Austin mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, they produced a study that was um, published by the New York University's Furman Center. And they looked at what happened in Houston after they made changes to their minimum lot size. Uh, and they found that very rarely did uh, a single family home get knocked down specifically to build uh, you know, a, a triplex or a duplex or a, a quadplex. Uh, and, and, and they found that it, this resulted in what it is that you're trying to do. They, they had more density in housing. They had a lot more townhomes going up, uh, which uh, just by their nature were a lot more affordable than a single family home. Right, I mean, when you're buying a uh, house on a 50 by 100 
foot lot, like you're also paying for the dirt. You're paying for the privilege and benefit of having this big yard, which some people would rather just have a house than also have a yard. Now, that's not everybody, right? And there's people that want huge yards, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to also provide the stock for those who want something else. If we value as a city affordability and keeping people in our city, mm -hmm. which I do personally. Councilman, this comes up for a vote on Wednesday. Is it going to pass? It's, it's a briefing only. It's a briefing only. Now, so what will happen is we'll talk about it and um, staff will listen to what we say. Um, if there seems to be a consensus of support from council members right. and staff looking at it, then they will spend significant amount of resources, you know, putting, putting the policy into a plan for us to vote on probably a year from now. This sounds very casual. I mean, in the process, it, how big of a deal is this then? Is this some something where somebody can just go, you know what, I don't like any of what Councilman West is talking about, let's kill yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, if the majority of council uh, speaks up and says, this is crazy, we, we can never do this as a city, uh, yeah, I, th I think staff would not move forward. They would mm. wait till the next council so this and is maybe crucial. look at it again. I think it's really important that we, uh, we folks who are interested in this who value affordability come out and speak in favor of this tool um, if there's concerns bring it up i personally don't think there's anything wrong with us continuing to look at it uh, as, a, as a potential policy option i think we have to you know let's come out of the weeds for a moment here if something like this were to pass in, in a year or so from now how long would it take for for home prices and rents to come down a decade or so i mean probably at least. I mean, this is one tool in the entire toolbox that, that we've got to consider, yeah. right? The minimum lot sizes, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes by right. It's just one tool. However, if, um, you know, for example, if, if, if we pass this, it's possible accessory dwelling units could be included in this as, as, as something that's allowed citywide. And, and Imagine and those if, are like the, the back grandmother suites or yeah. mother-in-law suites? Gra they call them granny flats yeah. or accessory dwelling units. They're you know usually 500 to 1,000 square feet buildings in the back. Yeah. Imagine if every single home in Dallas added one of those um, to the, their backyard. Uh, we would literally double our capacity for, for housing in the city. That's not going to happen, but it's, it's potentially, it's got the potential to do amazing things in the city. At a minimum, it will help us chip away at our affordability problem. How dire is this whole situation for Dallas? It's bad. I mean, you, you think of our city of, you know, what, I think we have like 1.9 million people now, and 88,000 of them will not be able to live in the city uh, come 2030. Um, I mean, it's, it's just going to get worse. If they can't live in the city, that, and that's one income bracket. So you're not, even, you're not even thinking about the other income brackets. It will also, lack of housing also leads to a lack of attracting businesses to the city too, because if they don't have the housing for their workforce, they're not going to come here. You know, so I think it could slow down our economy if we don't pick up the pace on housing. We've heard warnings about that uh, here in Texas, and, and, and I guess specifically uh, as well as North Texas, you know, we would be dealing with that potentially. Have you gotten a sense that that has started to happen yet, that businesses that are eyeing this area have started to notice that, geez, you know, the, the, the cost of living and, you know, the availability of housing, I don't know, I don't know if I should move my workers here. Have you heard of anything like that? Um, there was at least one study, uh, not, a, not a study, it was a news article that came out recently on a company that was going to move here out of Louisiana. They ended up staying in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
and, and expanding their plant down there. Um, it's a it's a metals company. Um, that's that's all I can recall from the article. But I know that it's it has our affordability is an issue. It's it's kind of just on the forefront of it now. I think it could get worse, but we don't want to wait till the roof has collapsed if it's already leaking to fix it. You know. Dallas is throwing up these mid-rise apartments all over the place. We're here in Deep Ellum, and there are mid-rises all around us sure. uh, on this side of town. I read there are 56,000 more of those over the last five years in the city, uh, and 5,000 fewer single-family homes in the city of Dallas. More apartments obviously help a, a short-term problem, but, but the rents are still high. I, I'm looking down the pipe, though. What's, what's a city going to look like? 20 years from now with all these 20 year old plus mid-rise apartments around here i mean you know it's it's they've got to be kept up i mean i think you know that's the hardest part enforcing code is is really important we find and another thing we're being briefed on uh next wednesday is the 2024 bond proposal which is to fix our streets and our parks and all that you know build a new police academy um part of our tax revenue comes from allowing for more density you know if you if you have a if you have a neighbor i always say this if you can have two of these three things you can have low density you can have um good city services um and you can have low taxes so so pick what you want right mm -hmm. and so if you want low taxes and you want good city services you need to allow for more density mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about that because there are going to be people out there who have a home right now. They have a large lot. They don't want it, you know, quote unquote, messed up. I don't want to change the way things are done here. Uh, there is some talk that this could actually help them on their property taxes. A lot of people say, oh, geez, if you start building that kind of stuff in my neighborhood here, it's going to decrease my value. Uh, if you start putting up townhomes that are $200,000 cheaper than my home, it's going to drag my value down. What do you say to those folks, and, and how does that relate to their property taxes? Because actually, you're adding more people to to the tax rolls. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you've, we're going to need to see studies to, to alleviate those fears. Um, you know, there's, I, I've, I hear stuff like that every day, especially since I published that op-ed mm -hmm. on, on the concerns. And that's why we need to have, um, you know, just a emotion-free discussion about this where, uh, you know, with backed up by data. Um, you know, you look at the Bishop Arts area and that's where I live. And there's mm -hmm. people that love it and people that, that hate the density that's come. But I will tell you, all of the property value around Bishop Arts has gone way up. Um, Exploded. And, and it's a result of the density and the walkability and all of that in the area. So the density didn't kill people's property values. It increased their property values. And it increased their property taxes too. And probably did that as well, yeah. Uh, there's something else I wanna to talk to you about too. The city of Dallas owns 50,000 acres of land you're chair of the uh, Housing, Homelessness, and uh, I'm sorry, you're chair of the uh, Government Performance and Financial Management Committee right. at City Hall. You're trying to find out what Dallas is doing with all this. Evidently, it's not a good system set up to, to know exactly whether it's being used in the, in the best way. Yeah. What should the city be doing with all this, and what do you think you're going to find? Well, it was shocking to my colleagues and I when we had our budget discussions, and then right after that, later on in the fall this year, that there is no plan in place for the 50,000 acres of the city. Now, some of that includes Fair Park and mm -hmm. our massive amounts of parks, City Hall. Like, there's stuff that we're never going to do anything with other than what it is, just right. improve it, right? But that's part of the 50,000 acres. There's tens of thousands in there that 
there's no plan for it. And what staff has done in the past is each department, so housing, parks, D Dallas Water Utilities, they, they have their land. And once a year, the real estate department was tasked with going around and saying, okay, what do you not need anymore? Well, if you're a, a department chair, you have the incentive to hold onto your land. You're not giving like, it up, right? There's no incentive to like give it up. Yeah. It's, it creates this hoarding system mm -hmm. of, of keeping your land intact in case you need it in the future. There's no czar or strategic thinker over the real estate. It, blew my mind. I'm frankly disappointed in myself for not asking these questions earlier. Mm. Um, and so we have now like been barking quite a bit at staff to actually get a strategic plan in place, um, you know, to have someone who's over like, if you think of a company like AT&T, mm. they've got a real estate department sure. with a person over that department who is demanding that they use their assets most efficiently. Mm. We need to have the same thing in the but, city. But you know, Dallas County moved its its county building in North Oak Cliff and, and demolished that, moved it to another location, right. and is and is using that land now to give it to a developer for a 99-year lease to build affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Is there any opportunity to do that, you think, with any of this acreage that the city has? I can't imagine there wouldn't be. I mean, we have 50,000 acres, there's got to be land that's underutilized. and. Um, and that's exactly what we should be using it for is, is housing and also to support the mayor's initiative on parks. What have you said to people, uh, and I'm sure that you've encountered this as you've been sort of taking the lead on all of this, what do you say to people who say that if you increase density in my neighborhood, if you, if you change the, the style of housing from just single family homes, you're going to change the character of my neighborhood. What do you These say are all that? questions pertinent to Wheeler's neighborhood, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Wheeler no. said, neighbors, do you have any questions? Because I'm talking to the city today. This is actually pertinent to a lot of neighborhoods. This is no, something right. that you know they've gone through in Austin, uh, something they went yeah. through in Houston. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a, a common worry that's brought up. And you know, people characterize it as this sort of NIMBY, not in my backyard. Like I don't want that here where I live because you know I don't want you to you know San Franciscoize my neighborhood where you got a bunch of row houses and so forth. Sure. What do you say to folks? I would say come look at Winneka Heights in North Oak Cliff, mm -hmm. which is a historic district. Go look at uh, Kings Highway, which is a conservation district in North Oak Cliff. These are neighborhoods that were developed from 1900 to 1930, and they were built, tip, most of it by one or two developers, uh, with the arts and crafts and Tudor styles. When these neighborhoods were built, the density that was added into those neighborhoods, which are duplexes up to like six and eight plexes in some cases, were built for the service workers to service those homes and the manor homes in the areas. Uh, and they were they were built to look like the neighborhood. So if you're walking down a street in Winneka Heights, um, and I've walked them all during my campaign and afterwards, right? You'll, you won't even notice that you're walking past a fourplex or sixplex mm -hmm. because it's built to look like the neighborhood. So there's ways to do it with design standards. Mm -hmm. um, that's all part of what this review process should be. And I think, you know, it's when I sit down and talk to people about it, and especially if they live in North Oak Cliff because they get it, right? Or if they live in Highland Park, like they, they were, the mm. apartments were built into the Highland Park neighborhoods as well for the service workers for the homes there, you know, back in the 20s. Um, people understand it at that point. They, they step out of the mindset of, all right, we're not trying to bishop arts the whole city, mm. you know, and put apartments up everywhere. We, we're trying to be a little bit more gentle about it. Um, you know, some council members, I think to get them on board, there's going to need to be a, a provision within this where neighborhoods can opt out of the 
of the missing middle, the gentle density. Interesting. Where, I was gonna, I was going to ask, how yeah. do you bring those council members on board? Because you have a handful of them now who are willing to go forward with exploring this. How do you get those who are like, ah, I don't know about uh, Chad's plan here? Well, I personally don't like the idea of an opt out. I, I think it would be a compromise that would be detrimental to us but it's better than nothing if we're able to get this policy passed. Um, so that, that's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. So some neighborhoods could just go, we're not gonna do the whole density thing. They would have to organize and there'd have to be some provision. Like right now, if you wanna opt into doing accessory dwelling units, um, you've gotta have, I think, 50 homes. It's gotta be contiguous area and um, you file a petition, right? Mm -hmm. I think it'd be something similar in this situation. On the other side, like you're opting out. Mm -hmm. Chad, what's it like at City Hall? behind the horseshoe, upstairs in the, in the council offices. Is there support for this or are there other ideas? Uh, what's the urgency like? So there's a lot of theater when you watch city council meetings. Uh, I would say that, you know, there, there's some of us that, there's some that don't like each other there, you know, genuinely, but I think most- Genuinely don't like each genuinely other. Genuinely <laughs> don't like each other, but there's the majority of us like each other, we get along, and we may just philosophically disagree. For example, me and Kara Mendelson battle all the time at the Horseshoe, but personally, we, you know, I'll sit by her at lunch, we like each other, uh, even though philosophically, like, we're on opposite sides, of, it seems like more than we're on the same side of things, and on this topic, we're, it's probably going to be similar, mm -hmm. but uh, I think generally, no, I know generally everyone understands we have a housing problem, um, and folks are they want to do something about it. These kind of moves are uncomfortable for them. And ultimately, I think you brought this up early on, uh, housing is not a sexy topic that's going to get voters out. Um, if anything, it brings the NIMBYs out or the people that have the fears, right? Um, and it could actually get you thrown out of office if you're not careful about how you explain things and, and talk through things with your constituents. Um, you know, parks, public safety, those are the kind of things that your voters love. And it's Oak, North Oak Cliff's no different. Mm -hmm. Like 90% of our neighborhood, public safety is their number one uh, priority. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it hadn't changed. And it doesn't matter if you're in the rich area, poor area, or, or wherever you're at. Um, but this is, a, this is a hard issue. Council members know that the right thing to do is to build more housing all over the city. The question is how to get there in a way that's palatable to the voters. You know, that's interesting that that's not a something that drives people to the polls because it seems like we hear all the time from people who are talking about the lack of affordable housing and, and, and how difficult it is to to get into a home. I was really interested uh, that Pew put out when they were you know looking at the whole situation in Houston after they made the changes there. And they put out, you know, because you're thinking, well, okay, so you're converting these lots, you're making these lots smaller, uh, and you're putting, you know, multiple, you know, homes on them, you know, in the form of like townhomes, let's say. You're thinking these are going to be small homes, but what they do is these are like those skinny homes, so the, the, the tall skinny homes where you've got maybe three or even four levels. Uh, and they found that in cases where it replaced a home, a, a single family home, uh, it was typical to have a, a home demolished that was 1,348 square feet, and in its place they would have several 2,500 square foot homes put in uh, because they're townhomes and they're tall. So this doesn't necessarily mean a bunch of tiny homes going in on these lots that you're shrinking down and, and allowing more more homes to be built on. It's there. It's uh, options are all on the table depending on the policy that's drafted. So Houston is. 
notorious or famous, however you want to say, for lack of zoning. Infamous, for, I'd say. Infamous, yeah. yeah. And, and I think in Dallas, we're the opposite. We over-regulate, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. And um, in this situation, I'm sure there will be some very tight um, regulations on how big things can be. They've got to be able to fit in the character of the neighborhood. I mean, that's something I would certainly su support that is if you're going to build, you know, uh, three homes on one lot in, say, Kings Highway, Winneka Heights, yeah. you know, uh, Kid Springs, my neighborhood, you, it needs to be in character with the neighborhood. It needs to be height, setback appropriate, and that's going to limit the, the, the size of the units you can build. Yeah. So besides this briefing uh, on the minimum lot size, on Wednesday you guys are also taking up the bond. What's going to be on the bond? That's right, and there's a huge housing issue on that as well. Um, the bond is is 1.2 billion at this point. Are you guys going to reduce that or increase it, or, or is that where it is? Uh, as of right now, there's there's no plan for either that okay. I'm aware of. I cannot imagine a scenario where it would be reduced. That's not what city government does. <laughs> we always increase. Um, but I, I understand that there could be a there could be a little leeway to increase it a bit. Um, there will be an interesting discussion amongst council on parks funding because the task force came back with a high level of parks funding compared to street repairs and frankly housing and economic yeah. development dollars well, and so I, I'm very curious to see where that ends up. There, there are focus areas on there too we talked to one of your colleagues on council about this a few months ago and I'm curious whether this still exists where the, the city was going to incentivize developers to focus on certain areas of the city to build, but the city had to do its part and put in sewer and infrastructure and water lines and stuff like that first before all this, you know, density comes in. Is that still in there? And any idea which areas that will settle in? I'm not aware if that's still in there or not. I think that what I know that what is in there is just a chunk of money dedicated towards housing, towards in construction some form or of, fashion. Yeah. yeah, right. I don't think it's been tagged for anything in particular. And even yeah. if it is, we can move it around. I'll tell you from my perspective, just like looking at market forces, is we just need to make it as easy as possible to build quality housing anywhere in the city. Mm -hmm. Like picking certain target areas to me is, is, is playing political games and trying to make people happy. Mm -hmm. If we really want to take this problem seriously, we've got to look at this as a citywide holistic issue and just make permitting as easy as possible. Um, incentives as easy as possible. We, we can't, the more s steps and things we put in, in front of developers, the more likely they'll just say, you know what, I'm just going to go build in Grand Prairie or go to Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. uh, so it seems to me that the, the, the vast majority of people do not show up to a council meeting um, in, in Dallas or in, in many places for that matter. Um, what will this council meeting be like uh, if, if you had to you know, pull out your crystal ball on this one? Are there going to be a lot of people there? Or are they going to you know, be fired up about uh, you know, what you're talking about? I believe that there's a groundswell. Uh, I understand that there is that originated in Austin that's now kind of swelling up here. You mentioned the voters, right? Like, why are they not showing up for housing issues? The people that benefit from affordable housing are usually working two or three jobs. Um, they're not able to show up to vote, you know, or they try, but they don't vote like your wealthier neighbors, many of whom are retired or, you know, somewhat you know not working or have a flexible job like like I do. So you're going to get a lot of people maybe showing up who do not like your idea. 
I think they will be there, some of them, uh, but I think there's also going to be a groundswell from, of folks who have now, now gotten mobilized and want to see the city actually take leadership on this issue. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful. And I know you've been pushing for this, but how slowly are you willing to walk on it? Because there are a lot of people who will worry a lot. This is their biggest investment, their home, yeah. you know, and, and, and they don't want anyone coming in and just sort of willy nilly making changes to the way their neighborhood is laid out because they worry about how that's going to affect the value of their home. For better or worse, the processes in the city are very slow. It frustrates people a lot of times, including myself, but it's also these these processes are built in place for this kind of scenario where you've got a complicated issue people are scared of and there's going to be a lot of public meetings. So this is going to originate at council. If decided to move forward by council, it will be pushed down to the Zoning Ordinance Advisory Committee, which is a subcommittee of the Plan Commission. It will be hammered out there in the proposal probably over the course of a year. Then it will come up, assuming it even gets out of there, which I think it would, it would go to the Plan Commission, be discussed by the full body of the Plan Commission, and then eventually come up to us. How long does that whole process? We'll look at parking reform. Uh, I opened parking reform back in August of 2019. It's still there. It's still at the Zoning Ordinance Advisory Committee, so four, four plus years. Um, I'm hopeful this, we don't, it doesn't take that long, but it's possible it could. Mm-hmm. This, this starts it, though. This starts the clock. Yeah, we started this episode talking about in seven years, by the end of the decade, the, the number of, of uh, the, the lack of affordable housing is going to be up to 88,000 units. What's it going to look like realistically in seven years? Are we going to be at 88,000 or is it going to be higher or lower, do you think? Uh, I think it's uh, that. Okay, so the CPALS numbers, Child Poverty Action yeah. Labs numbers. Which is where these numbers came from, the 88,000. That's 000. right. Yeah. They consider an average of, to come up with that, they looked at an average of, I believe, the last three years. Over the last three years, we, did, we were just standing up our public facilities corporation. And I know I'm getting a little wonky here, but it's a, it's a tool we have to uh, uh, eliminate property taxes during, for new construction projects during the dependency of when they have affordability. So you build a new apartment complex for, uh, for people. You provide 50% of your units are, are reserved for people making 50000 60000 a year. During the period of as long as you keep that affordability in place, your property taxes are eliminated. That's a huge financial incentive yeah, that massive. we have, which the state's allowed and we're able to do. And it has more than doubled our construction um, I mean, we've more than doubled what we've done in, in prior years. So that's just getting started. We're starting to see a lot of new units come online. So I'm optimistic with that program alone. We're, when we see CPAL's revised report in a couple of years, we're going to be doing better. And that's assuming our growth of the region stays the same as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like if we're meeting the housing demand, we're going to continue growing as a city because they're going to keep coming from California and keep coming from the East Coast. So I, I'm optimistic that regardless of minimum lot size reform, duplex, fourplex reform, we're going to see our numbers improve. Um, however, if we want to see home ownership opportunities improve, not just rentals, we need to look at this policy very seriously. Yeah, because all of the projections keep saying that this place is going to continue to grow uh, just on steroids uh, in, yeah. in the years ahead. And uh, I was surprised. I, I, I looked uh, at the, the official numbers for Dallas, Fort Worth, and Arlington. 
big area that we're talking about there. Latest numbers show that the number of homes listed for sale at 22,586. When you think of a, a, an area that big, that vast, 22,586 listings, is not enough, uh, you know, for for the demand out there. That's about three months of supply. It's uh, considered that six months is a healthy market. We haven't been at six months supply in in this market since 2011. Wow, I mean that's that should be a wake up call for for everyone. I mean, right now we're also at uh, over capacity for um, even our market rate rentals as well. If you talk to the real estate council, they'll tell you, you know, we have we have excess units out there. But you don't want to wait until the corporation has already moved here to start building the housing right. for them. You need to always have a pipeline of new housing being built so that you can attract these companies who want to move to Dallas. We'd be remiss without asking you about permitting because all this stuff is great, fine and dandy, but Dallas has had a permitting problem uh, since COVID. And now there's talk about artificial intelligence might be able to help out like other cities have used. I know you've commented on that. Is the permitting problem fixed? Can the robot fix it? Yeah. <laughs> Can well, anything fix it? Um, I hope so. Uh, you know, I've having, I build car washes for a living. That's my, my real job outside of the city. And I'll tell you, I've gone through permitting in seven cities now to do this. I'm on my seventh site. And Dallas was the most challenging. It really was uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, it, it wasn't not doable. But that, once I got the site built, it's my best performing site, the one in Dallas. Right. So it's worth it it's for me to go through that. But, but this is the city you represent. Well, and, it is. And, and yeah. what does that feel like when the city you represent is the most difficult one to do business it in? It doesn't feel great, I'll tell you that. And I feel like we've got, I mean, we've got to do better. I feel like it is getting better. I will tell you, we, we have a director who's in there now who actually has a customer service mentality, mm. but he, he's, he's directing a ship that is, is constantly in murky waters, I feel like. Um, our, our, you mentioned AI, yeah. artificial intelligence, and the first city in the United States, um, I believe it's called Alameda Springs, Florida, which is uh, a suburb of Orlando, has embraced AI uh, for its permitting office. And now Miami and some other Florida cities are looking at it. I understand Houston's reviewing it as well. I'm very excited about it. And I, I brought the the, uh, the the corporate partner who, who did this to meet with, with city staff. They're open to talking about it as well. And I'm hopeful we'll see some of that AI come alive in the, in the next few months, if not in the next year. The, the concept is like, if you think about it this way, uh, if you're, you know, you're filing for a permit at the city of Dallas and the permit, you, you get one person and then that person is out the next day. And so the, the challenges you had, that is now, you gotta wait till they come back to work, right? Someone's having a bad day, what have you. I mean, we have a very professional staff. I don't sure. wanna beat them up, but humans are humans, right? Mm -hmm. And in the permitting office, they're humans just like everyone else. Yeah. But AI never has a bad day. AI never needs to take a day off. Um, it's it, doesn't have a bias or a prejudice. It's it's just a neutral system. But AI wouldn't replace anybody. AI would assist. AI is an, is an assisting measure, right? And so it would allow us to become more efficient yeah. if, if we're able to embrace it. You could file your permit application and within seconds it could tell you, here's all the changes you need to make and here's the code references and here's what you need to do. Instead First, of getting to the window and waiting and... Yeah, yeah. yeah and then yeah, you, yeah. you know, you can bring... And, and sure, it's not going to be perfect. Sure. You, you, that's why you have humans there who can have some discretion to to allow things to happen or whatever but 
when we met with these um, uh, these this this programmer, they told us that the you're looking at efficiency improvements of anywhere from 60 to 100 percent wow. in all these cities so doubling potentially doubling your capacity to push permits out um, which mm. why would we not in, embrace that or at least look at it and this is happening yeah in other places it's happening in other places wow. and i mean we need to look at it too we need to be on the forefront like dallas should be the place everybody wants to come because we're so business friendly here and we're so development friendly mm. hey before we let you go um the city of Dallas has term limits like a lot of place, a lot of places. Well, yes, we do for, for what, elected officials. When does that impact you on city council? So uh, I've got one more election in 2025. And uh, if that goes well, I'll finish my term up in 2027. You've been effective. I think people would argue in district one and, and citywide. Uh, what's next for you politically? Have you thought about that? Do you, do you want to go full time into uh, Washington drying cars or do you want to uh, <laughs> end up on a ballot somewhere else again, Chad? <laughs> uh, great question. I don't know. I want to finish up my term uh, and do the best I can for the district. We got a lot of goals um, we, we need to accomplish. I want to, I will either fix the permit office or I will die trying um, before 2027. Um, and I have got to commit more time to my car washes and, and to development or my investors are going to probably not rehire me <laughs> uh, or, or at least uh, talk so much smack that um, I'm going to need a lot more of these beers. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But it sounds like you're committing to a run in 2025 at least. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Yeah. Councilman Chad West from uh, Dallas City Council, District 1. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, the trick for this podcast, and I should have told you this early on, when Wheeler asks the question is when you drink the beer, because his questions are at least 60 seconds long. It's a while. That's usually when you drink. It's but a while, I have a 7.7, which... so I had to sip on mine. Well, it sometimes make the, makes the podcast go a little long, too, which can result in a boot if you haven't properly paid ahead of time. Exactly. So, <laughs> I, I fixed that today, though. Thanks for the insight yeah. at City Hall, Chad. Yes, really shout out to it. City yeah. Services, because they're on it. <laughs> they, they, they are. I love it. That was, that was the highlight for me, too. All right. Yeah. Thank, thanks so thanks. much for uh, listening, as always. Appreciate you watching, as well. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always find us there to search for Yolitics on YouTube. Awesome. Click subscribe and get Yolitics every week. Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas.